You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. We're reading a number of passages from Scripture this afternoon. The first passage is Romans 14, reading the verses 1 through 8, and in chapter 15, reading the verses 1 through 4. Accept him whose faith is weak, without passing judgment on disputable matters. One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not, and the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One man considers one day more sacred than another, and another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. None of us lives to himself alone, and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Then in chapter 15, verse 1, We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak, and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Our second passage is taken from 1 Corinthians 10, verse 23, through chapter 11, verse 1. Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. Nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. Eat anything sold in a meat market without raising questions of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If some unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if anyone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the man who told you and for conscience sake, the other man's conscience, I mean, not yours, For why should my freedom be judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced? Because of something I thank God for. So, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everybody in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example, as I follow the example of Christ. 
Our third passage is taken from the letter to the Galatians. This is also the passage from which text is taken this afternoon. Galatians 5, to verses 1 through 15. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. Do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself to be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. But by faith we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith, expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion will pay the penalty, whoever he he may be. Brothers, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. You, my brothers, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. Our focus this afternoon will be on Galatians 5, verse 13, where we read in God's word, these words, You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. Beloved brothers and sisters, in our Lord Jesus Christ, in any given situation, follower of Christ will be asking the question, what does the Lord Jesus want me to do? How would my Savior and Lord have me behave? The letters WWJD came to symbolize this question, what would Jesus do? Maybe not the best way to phrase the question, what would Jesus have me do, would be more correct. But the underlying thought is very true. Given a situation, an upright Christian will reflect on what the Lord will have him do. And a problem for Christians is that given a situation, Christians may actually react very differently. Earlier this year, the hockey final at the Olympics was between the arch-rivals Canada and the U.S. It was played and broadcast on a Sunday. Same thing happened with the finals during the World Cup soccer tournament. Is it okay to watch a game like that on a Sunday? 
Another illustration. A young man and a young woman are dating. He's from Winnebeg. She's from the Fraser Valley. Should they be allowed to drive just the two of them from the one place to the other? Isn't that too much like letting them go on a holiday together before they're married? A third. Should female professing members participate in the election of office bearers? Depending on how you understand the act of voting, there will be different opinions, and both will even claim to be scriptural. It's quite clear there are differences of opinion on the answer to the question, what would Jesus have me do? And the existence of that difference can make you feel quite uncomfortable and insecure. Isn't there one God? Isn't there just one right way of acting? And those questions, they're very real. I'm pretty sure that most of you in the auditorium are pretty curious as to what I'm going to say about those questions. But consider this. If if I were to say something with which you happen to disagree, would it change your opinion? It might, if I argue it well, but it might not. And, And in regard to many issues, especially the younger ones among us, will feel it's not really worth the effort to debate the matter. For so some will claim, isn't there such a thing as Christian freedom? Christian liberty? It's important to be convinced of your own stance. As Romans 14 says, everything that does not come from faith is sin. But allow each other to ruin the space to, to have a different opinion. The law of Moses belongs to the past. Each era has its own norms and values And and then we tend to champion Galatians 5, verse 1. It is for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Christian liberty is an issue addressed by the Apostle Paul in several of his letters. We've read the three most pertinent references. The Galatians were divided over the issue of circumcision. Should you or should you not be circumcised? The Roman Christians were divided over the issues of eating meats. Can one participate in the feasts of the world? And they were also divided over the matter of celebrating feast days, in the sense of, are you allowed to exchange presents with Christmas? Are you allowed to go trick-and-treating on Halloween? And, And the Corinthians had an issue with meat as well. Can a Christian eat meat that is known to have been sacrificed to an idol? And in each of these situations, the Apostle Paul points to the existence of the phenomenon Christian freedom. Galatians 5 verse 13 articulates that very succinctly. We might translate the opening line as follows, but you have been called to liberty, brothers. And so we listen to God's word on Christian liberty with this theme, God has called us to be free. We'll consider being free in Christ and being free unto Christ. Liberty. Freedom. My dictionary tells me that freedom means the state of being able to do what you want without anything stopping you. Freedom, that's the opposite to being bound. It means experiencing no restrictions. No restrictions. Let's reflect on that for a moment. Can anything be considered truly free without restrictions? There's an English expression, to be as free as a bird on the wing. 
A bird in the sky is, is to a human being on the ground a, a symbol of freedom. But, but is a bird unrestricted in its movement? Is a bird free? Boys and girls, I, I've got a really weird question for you. Can a bird fly everywhere? It can fly over mountains, it can fly over oceans, it can fly through tunnels. Penguins even fly underwater. You know what? Birds cannot fly underground. The ground forms a boundary, a limit to the freedom of a bird. You don't find eagles flying ten feet underground. Birds belong in the air, or if you're a penguin, in the water. And that image tells us something about the concept of freedom. Free is not the same as boundless, as autonomous. Only God is boundless. He is omnipresent. He's everywhere. He is almighty, able to do all things. God's freedom can be justifiably considered autonomy. That means be a law to yourself. Decide yourself what you want. Everything else in creation has its limits. Just like an eagle. An eagle can soar high up in the sky, but it cannot fly underground. And so if freedom is not boundless, the question arises, what are its boundaries? The surface of the ground is a boundary to an eagle. What boundary is there to our freedom? To our freedom in Christ, our Christian liberty? And to come to a right understanding of our Christian liberty, we do well to reflect on our original freedom. The liberty of mankind in paradise before the fall into sin. The last creature created was man, the crown of creation. And God had created man with the ability to think, to reason. And as such, man was a free creature. He had a will and could act in accordance with that will. We refer to this as the free will of man. Man could choose between doing good and doing evil. However, was this freedom of man boundless? autonomous. And there are those who argue what was. The relationship between God and mankind in paradise is then described as that of a parent and a mature child. A child that has come of age is no longer bound to the authority of his parents. Parents may advise a child, but they cannot command a child. That's what Pelagius taught. That's what the Arminians teach. They teach that, and this is from the Canons of Dort, God does not effectually help the will of man to come to conversion until the will of man moves itself and determines to do this. Man is totally free to choose. But that doesn't make any sense. For in paradise, we don't hear God giving Adam and Eve an advice, kind of like, well, I suggest you steer clear of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, because when you eat of it, you will die. Genesis 2 verse 16 uses the word command. God gave an explicit command. Man was able to eat of the tree, but he wasn't allowed to eat of the tree. The commandment of God is to mankind what the surface of the ground is to an eagle. An eagle should not trespass the surface of the ground. It will die when it does so. Man should not trespass the command of God. He will die if he does so. 
So it should be just as strange for a man to transgress the command of God as it is for an eagle to dive through the surface of the ground. Now there's a difference between an eagle underground and a human being disobeying God. An eagle is not even able to go underground. Well, a human being is quite able to disobey God. And, and maybe the imagery of a fish out of water would be a better comparison. But I think it would be a less powerful illustration. Fish don't appeal to our imaginations as animals that are free as birds do. And then again, strictly speaking, an eagle can go underground. It's got talons. It could dig a hole. But the point of my illustration here is how ridiculous it is. It's ridiculous to think of a bird flying underground. Well, it should be as ridiculous for a human being in God's world to disobey God's will. And God put the tree of knowledge of good and evil in paradise to see what man would do. The tree would indeed have man know, experience both good and evil. Man would be like God. However, man should not have chosen to want this. God, in a sense, put man to the test. Man was able to eat of the tree, but not allowed to. That was the freedom of man. Man had been created free. He was able to do all that God had commanded him to do. Nothing God commanded him to do was too difficult for him. And God gave man also a means to show that he wanted to serve God, that this was man's will. So the liberty of mankind in paradise might be described as follows. Boundless in the opportunities and ability to serve God, and restricted by the commandments of God. What air is to a bird, God-given talents are to man. What the surface of the ground is to a bird, God's commandments are to man. Then came the fall into sin. Man made misuse of his ability and transgressed the law of God. Man wanted to be free outside the bounds of God's authority. Man wanted to be like God in every way. Freedom wasn't enough. Man wanted autonomy. Man was like the bird that decided, I'm going to fly underground. Weird? Yeah. But that's how weird it was for the crown of God's creation to try and live without God. Did it work? No. It didn't. Instead of becoming autonomous, man became a slave. For man lost his ability to do good. Indeed, man became totally depraved. When you eat of the fruit, God had said, you will die. And die man did. For by nature we are dead in our transgressions and sins. We become totally incapable of doing any good. We're given over to bondage and decay. Spiritual death also implied physical death. We were created from clay dust and we return to clay dust. And our inability to do good restricted whatever freedom we had. We became slaves to sin. We became caught in the power of the devil. Instead of going from freedom to autonomy, we went from freedom to slavery. And by our fallen nature, unable to do any good, inclined to all evil. And that's not all. Our freedom to live in God's world, to exist in God's presence, also disappeared. We create this huge debt of guilt with God through our disobedience and lack of love. We came to God, owe God more than we could ever pay. 
In a parable, Jesus illustrates it with an at face value ridiculous image of a servant, of a slave, owing his master an amount of money worth 10,000 annual salaries. 10,000 annual salaries. There's no way in which a servant could ever pay that. We're not free from God. Our sinfulness has made us more indebted to God than we ever were. So in the attempt to go from freedom, from liberty, to autonomy, to self-determination, man moved into a state of slavery and debt. Slavery to sin, indebtedness to God. And then Galatians 5 says, it is for freedom Christ has set us free. On both those counts, Lord's Day 1 puts it very succinctly, Christ has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the power of the devil. Our indebtedness to God has been saddled by Christ. He paid for our trespasses with his death on the cross. His righteousness, his obedience, his holiness covers our lack of righteousness, obedience and holiness. Christ paid for all our sins so that we might have free access to God again. That's Hebrews 9 and Hebrews 10. And our enslavement to sin and the devil has also been corrected by Christ. We're being recreated after the image of Christ. The devil has no hold on us anymore. The old man who's only interested in beating his wings underground is dying. And the new man who is intent upon soaring in the sky is coming to life. That's Romans 6. It is Christ who gained the right to have it happen. It's the Holy Spirit who makes it happen. Bound slaves now become children of God. We are free in Christ. Free does not mean autonomous. I can do whatever I want. I can have my opinion, you have yours, and we'll have to live with that. No. Free in Christ means free as God initially had created man free. Free to serve God. A freedom to move in God's world within the boundaries of God's commandments. We've been set free to do good, to be God's image, to be loving and loyal in all we do. So eagles are free as they soar in the sky and don't try to dive bomb into the ground. Christians are free as they live their lives unto God and stay clear of sin. That brings us to our second thought. They live their lives unto God. We're free unto Christ. Question now is, how do we use our freedom? Our freedom, which is, which is not a state without bounds, without restrictions, we're free in Christ. Christ has set us free to live lives in which the commandments of God form the boundaries. And that's why the question, what would Jesus have me do, is indeed the question we should be asking. And the Bible gives us the answer to that question. Jesus said it himself, Matthew 5, 48. Be perfect, said Jesus, as your heavenly Father is perfect. It means doing good. It means being loving and loyal. God loved us to the extent that he gave us his one and only son. Will our love go that far? 
God was faithful to us, even when we turned our backs on Him. Will we be faithful to others when they turn their backs on us? Using your freedom means doing good to show love and loyalty. The Holy Spirit had James referred to the law as the perfect law that gives freedom. That sounds like a contradiction, but it's not. We tend to think that laws and prohibitions limit our freedom. They don't. They make freedom possible. Imagine being part of traffic without there being traffic laws. If there were no traffic laws, there'd be no freedom on the road as well. Boys and girls, think of the commandments of God as little signs telling an eagle flying high up in the sky, this is the ground, don't fly here. The sky is up there, that's where you're supposed to fly. And and people who ignore God's commandments, they're like eagles who ignore those signs. People who sin are like eagles trying to fly underground. I can imagine that all this talk of eagles flying on the ground becomes a little tiring after a while. But let it be clear, brothers and sisters, that's how tiring it is to God that people sin. And sin again. And sin again. And again. And again. And again. Eagles don't belong on the ground. 1 John 2 verse 1, believers ought not to sin. Love and loyalty is our airspace. That's what Galatians 5 verse 13 tells us. Do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Very literally translated, it says, do not use your freedom as a springboard for the flesh. A springboard, a launching pad. Those who use their freedom as a springboard, they're like an eagle at 300 feet saying, I'm going to fly on the ground, and then he gets into a dive and slams into the ground. No, rather, serve one another in love. Here's a reference to the restriction on our freedom. We are free to serve. That's a paradox. Freedom and service are considered each other's opposites. Especially if you realize that service and slavery in the Greek, at least in our text, are exactly the same word. We are free to be slaves. Our Christian freedom is not a freedom from God, but a freedom unto God. We're not free from Christ, we're free unto Christ. We have been restored to a situation in which we, by the power of the Spirit, are able to love again, to love God, love our neighbor. And so instead of trying to fly through the dirt, we're to fly through the air. Serve one another, be slaves to each other. We live in a time of individualism, which has its more modern roots in the Enlightenment. There's this tension between the community and the individual. Does an individual exist for the good of the community? Or does the community exist for the good of an individual? This tension is one of the reasons why many people, for example, refuse to marry today. For marrying replies restrictions and people do not like to have their supposed autonomy restricted. But that's not the way of it at all. Loyal love and loving loyalty are the climax of human freedom. It's the crescendo with which the creation account ends. 
We exist as individuals and as communities. And the interaction within both, if set in that context of love and loyalty, will be of benefit to both. We live to love and to be loyal. And that's something you can't do on your own. So as we go through life, we need to take each other into account. We haven't yet reached the stage of, state of perfection. We are free in Christ. We're being made free through the Spirit. That's the account of Romans 6. But there is a tension in our lives. We're not there yet. We haven't arrived yet. That's the account of Romans 7. And Romans 7 comes after Romans 6. We live in a broken world filled with all manner of evil and all manner of weakness. And as we go through life, we need to take that into account. No two believers are at the same point in their appropriation of salvation and their experience of the covenantal relationship which they may enjoy with God. You have the weak in faith, you have the strong in faith. The weak in faith are those who are quickly tempted to sin. They can't walk past the pub without grabbing a few drinks too many. They can't walk through a store without overspending. They can't go to a beach without casting lustful glances. And the weak in faith, they do well to suspend the signs of God's commandments 50 feet above the ground. An eagle can fly at 30 feet. But if the temptation is there to dive bomb into the ground, don't even go near it. As Jesus puts it, and this is another one of those seemingly ridiculous images that he uses to hammer home a truth, says our Lord himself, if your eye causes you to sin, well, pluck it out, throw it away. It's no good going with one eye, with two eyes into hell. So you're better off without a credit card than being a bad steward. The weak in faith will restrict their freedom so as not to be tempted unto sin. The strong in faith, they're those who can resist temptation, even flying at two feet above the ground. They have absolutely no desire to dive bomb into the ground. And yet they too will impose extra restrictions on themselves. Depending on their situation, they will take the other eagles into account. In all things there will be charity. We are free in Christ and therefore unto Christ. Freedom is not autonomy. I can make up my own mind. It is out of love for Christ, being mindful of those round about me. It's self-denial. That's what it's all about. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly beloved children, and live a life of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. What would Jesus have me do? The answer to that question is, put God ahead of everything, treat my neighbor as I treat myself. It's about us serving God. It's not about God serving us. It's about us serving each other. It's not about having everybody serve me. Do not use your freedom as a springboard for evil, but rather serve one another out of love. And what if you don't know? What if you're not sure about what you should do? Study God's Word. 
Do Bible study together and do not be afraid to tackle those difficult questions. Discussions might be heated, but where they are held in an atmosphere of love and loyalty, of faith in God, good will come from it. Think for a moment on how Paul had to tackle, how Paul tackled the issues he had to confront. He points to the commandment of God. Everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God and by prayer. Paul uses reasoning. Idols don't exist, so food offered to idols can't be an issue. Things are not inherently evil. They are made evil by the thoughts and intentions of man. Paul is fine with someone eating a steak. God won't condemn him for it. But if eating a steak will cause a fellow believer to sin, Paul is willing to go without steak. It's not the act itself. It's the attitude and the motives that determine the act. And it will be exactly the same where the issues are concerned I mentioned at the beginning of this sermon. Remember them? Watching a hockey game or a soccer game on a Sunday? Allowing a young unmarried couple to drive from Manitoba to BC with just the two of them? Women voting for office bearers? In each case, don't just look at the act. Go deeper. What are the motives? What is the attitude? How do faith, thankfulness, love and loyalty factor into your thoughts and actions? God had a man put to death for gathering firewood on the Sabbath. Numbers 15. Christ felt at liberty to heal sick people on the Sabbath, even though he knew that his fellow eagles, the Pharisees, had an issue with it. So if you watch a special hockey game or a soccer game on a Sunday, why is that? Well, the young unmarried couple. Love is like a burning fire from the Lord and should not be aroused or awakened until it so desires. That's Song of Songs 8. If the desire for physical intimacy is not there, well, then you should be wondering as boyfriend and girlfriend whether you actually should be going out at all. And if it is there, the drive is obviously not wise. And women voting. If, if both issues of the, if both sides of the debate are agreed that God prohibits women from exercising authority in the church, and the disagreement is on whether voting constitutes an act of authority, should we be binding each other's consciences? Should we force those who don't want to vote to vote? And should we prevent those from voting who believe that they have a divine calling to vote? Let me generalize it. If there is a difference of opinion as to what to believe and how to act, there's a few things you can do as person and community. One approach is make the commandments of God extra restrictive. Hang those ground below, don't fly here signs a hundred feet above the ground. So you create a no-go zone between the commandment and what is truly wrong. That may be wise, but it will also restrict your recreation in the image of Christ. This was the approach the Pharisees had chosen. In Matthew 23, Christ had no problems with it. 
But he did take it very ill of the Pharisees that they neglected the greater matters of the law. Another approach is is to position the commandments of God very precisely and then continually fly within five feet of the ground. It's okay, it's allowed. But it may be very detrimental to a weaker brother or sister in the faith. You don't take someone addicted to alcohol to a licensed restaurant for a meal and a pastoral conversation. There's a third option too. You can choose to ignore the commandments. Ignore the signs. Everybody can do what he wants. People take the plunge into the ground. Your freedom has then become a springboard unto sin. That's, for example, saying, well, God is love and God made me a homosexual, so I should be allowed to marry someone from the same sex. And then the church saying, sure, if that's what you believe and you're convinced in your own mind, you go ahead and do it. No, that's wrong. That's plain wrong. So when it comes to our positions on the issues and the ways we act, There are three possibilities, weak in faith, strong in faith, or sinners. And realize, brothers and sisters, the weak in faith and the strong in faith have the right to exist side by side in the church pew and have the right to partake of the supper of our Lord. But the sinner should be admonished and, if necessary, expelled. God has called us to be free. Free from sin and evil, Free from indebtedness to God. Don't use your freedom as a springboard for the sinful desires of the flesh. Do not interpret this freedom as the right to do whatever you want and to allow everybody else their own opinions. God is not a God of chaos. He's a God of peace and love. Have the mind of Christ. Be renewed by the Spirit. And use your freedom to express your love and loyalty for God and serve each other. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.